they just laugh or think I'm being mean, but I don't think I'm being mean. I'm being honest. I'm like, if country right. music is like, yeah, that's that's you the have, best music you can listen to. You have terrible taste. Yeah. So you like don't you, get I mean, that's, to decide. And it, it, I feel like as a person, she, like, like Steve, going back to Steve, he knows he has terrible taste. He just doesn't fucking care. Welcome back to Couple Goals with us and I'm. Hello. We're on episode 40, the big 4-0. And this will be our second week of Christmas-themed Couple Goals podcast episodes. Fuck you. I asked if it was supposed to be Christmas-themed. You said no. Oh, well, I'm telling you now. Do you not have anything Christmas-themed? I changed my topic because you said no. <laughs> oh. All right, we'll try again next week. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> week number two of failed Christmas theme. <laughs> Couple goals. Speaking of Christmas themed, we went to Hobby Lobby and Sean bought tiny Santa hats for his figures. And it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, if you've ever wanted to see Venom in a Santa hat. It's the funniest thing I've I ever can make seen. That like he put it on and then he came walking over to me with them. And they're it's hilarious. It's like picture elf on a shelf, but it's venom instead of the elf. It's hilarious. Oh, Sean's sick this week. So I'm sick this my turn to be sick. Yeah. So I sound shittier than usual. Yeah, I'm 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 okay. I have a headache. I have a really bad headache. I don't really yeah. have a news story this week, but I did want to say a couple of things for our, our nerdier oh. contingent. And I have housekeeping, so don't let me forget. Okay. Uh, what I was going to say is Diablo 3 has come out for the Nintendo Switch. Okay. Diablo 3 has been out for like six years or so. Yes, it has. And though the Switch is not a powerful system by any stretch of the imagination, it's the best system to play Diablo on because of the screen. It's portable. Oh. Yeah. And your your progression, you know, you could take it wherever so that's really cool. So I, I picked that up. I started a new character despite the Diablo 3 is my comfort food video game. I've been playing it off and on for six years. It's the kind of game we you all can used to play together. Finish. Yeah, we've, I've played it with you and the boys, played with other people and you finish it, but you can just keep leveling indefinitely in the game. So there's always stuff to do in the game and they're coming out with a phone version next year. So that'll be. I think it's crazy something. that they just keep like they're like, yeah. We don't even need to do anything. Like, you guys will just keep playing this thing, this well, fucking that's game. That's just excellent game design, you know? What's that What's that one character in that game? That, was it, like, the cleric? Like, what is that? Well, what's that one? other? Because, you know, you're, like, it's the character that you play, and then you get those people that follow you around, right? Yeah. So what's that one that you get? The, right the first the one you get is the Templar. The Templar. That's the one. So when I first started playing the game, I didn't know... You get this guy right, and you're supposed to like run over to the corner and get. When you find him, he he's, he's a prisoner. Naked. Yeah, so he he's got nothing. He, he is naked. He's just but he runs around. around and he helps. You. He's a Templar, so he 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 will do whatever. Like so he'll he, help he you out. He will punch demons with his bare fists on your behalf. He'll run around naked and punch things, and that's like like you're supposed to run over to this chest, open it, and get his gear. And I didn't realize because. I was sitting really far back because in my bedroom I have like we all have 
the systems and I and I had the game and I was playing in the bedroom and I was sitting really far away from the TV. Everything's real small on the TV. I have a decent sized TV, but everything's pretty small. I was sitting so far away, I didn't know he was naked. So I never went and got the gear because I hate cutscenes and stuff. Yeah. So I uh, never got his gear and Sean walks in and he looks at the TV and he's like real close to the TV because he walked in and he was standing along the wall that the TV is mounted on. And he's like, why is your guy naked? And you, and you were fighting a boss. You had this poor guy helping you. <laughs> I had a naked. He's, he's punching the skeleton king with his bare fists <laughs> with no clothes on. <laughs> While you're casting all these crazy magic spells. I just never went and got his gear. So this like and then like even once I got his gear, like I wouldn't have even thought to equip it because I didn't realize that was something I had to do for this guy. Yeah, because like I don't I really hate it when I have to like pay attention to what I'm supposed to do. In games. Diablo is a pretty mindless game. I have fallen asleep while playing it on the couch and woken up to find that I'm still winning because you can literally just hold a button down and spam attacks depending well, it on how far. depends what you're playing as. Right. It depends on what you're playing as, how far you've leveled up and stuff. And I've, I've fallen asleep, you know, not not like for hours or anything, but, you know, where you fall asleep for a minute or two because you should go to bed, but you don't want to. And I wake up and I'm still just merrily killing things. It's yeah. great. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a good game. Yeah. Diablo 3, it's out for a lot of systems it's on pc like, like all of them xbox is it's on xbox 360 and ps3 it's on xbox one and ps4 now it's on the switch pick it up it's easy it's fun and you can play it with other people but you don't have to play with other people it has an endless amount of game time basically yeah i liked it because when i started playing mason well i started playing on my like own i was trying to like learn the game and then mason was like level like four thousand he's yeah he got he got like like that hacked piece of gear yeah he had hacked gear which i did not know so i'm sitting there rolling with him and then he he gave me a piece of gear and i was like wait a minute you can't have two sockets in a in a helmet how do you get two sockets in this helmet and then he tells me it's hack gear which i don't i don't really i don't like hack gear i like to just stick with what's in the game but that's why he he was literally like level 857 paragon which is because yeah. the level cap is 70 but then you have this thing where you can go beyond that they call them the paragon leveling it, it might have been even more than that. he might have been like level 2000 or something yeah, paragon he was, he was which something takes crazy would normally take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours to get to he was something crazy and even now my character is something crazy well and yeah because we rolled with him we rolled with him for a while and then and I have not played that much, and my no. my character is bananas high level now. You should get a Switch, and we'll start over together on the Switch. It's great. I don't want a Switch. I don't have time. I don't have time to do what I need to accomplish, let alone have fun. This is my fun. For fun, do podcasts. <laughs> For fun, work. Yeah, I don't have. I don't have time. But housekeeping. Housekeeping news, we have a bunch of new listeners. Yeah. So this is the first week we actually know about the new listeners. So hello. Hey, guys. Welcome Hi, welcome. Housekeeping news, we do have a website, couplegoalspodcast.com. So you can hop over there. There's nothing going on over there, but I just wanted to tell you. We about have it. a Facebook group. We that... have a Facebook group. That's actually where, where we're at, if you want to talk to us. Yes. 
So it's a um, couple goals with us and I'm listeners is the name of that group. So if you want to talk to us, we're there. Hi, come join us. Yes. Um, what else? That's pretty much it. Rate, review, subscribe, I guess. Rate, you're, review, subscribe. You're already subscribed. Tell your we friends. Saw, we saw that. Subscribe your parents on their devices. Subscribe your parents so they can be horrified. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it in housekeeping news. Anything else you want to talk about this week? I thought there was something else I was going to touch on. Oh, I was going to talk about, well, a couple of things. One, a few weeks ago, I was talking about my playlist that I was making for work. Yeah. And I just wanted to revisit that briefly for anybody who might remember. People, I think people are aware that I'm fairly passionate about music. Yeah, Stacy in the Facebook group was talking yeah. about was talking about how she's like ever and so I, slightly ashamed of her music taste because of you. And and I know it's 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 not a good thing to be that passionate about music, but I am. What am I going to do? I'm not hitting people over it or anything, but I, I will judge you. Yet. I will judge your music taste. I won't judge you as a person based on your music taste. Because if I did that, I would literally have no friends. Right, or, like my or best, spouse. My best friend... <laughs> In front of the show, Steve, like his favorite artist is Justin Timberlake. On top of that, when I lived with him back in the late 90s, him and his brother, Rob, another good, very good friend of mine, they would blast Dave Matthews band. And it, I would tell them at the time, like, this is fucking terrible, guys. That's, like, that's garbage. Not even from my typical elitist standpoint just as it as just in general as like you should know better about right. dave matthews man and, and then and a few years later or a few years ago steve told me he said i was listening to dave matthews band the other day and he's like he said i don't know how i used to listen to that right I, said, I fucking told you man that shit was awful right just as a person with ears you can tell that dave matthews band no good so at work we've reached a point of compromise for the most part i still have some metal on there However, my boss and one of my coworkers love country music. Ooh. So I've had to add some country artists. Let me run some names by you, see if you know any of these people. Aaron Tippin. No. I Is know. that male or female? It's a dude. Let me put on some older stuff like Confederate Railroad. Okay, I don't know that. And I can't I, I can't even think of the other artists now. But anyway, there's country music on there. I've downright vetoed things like Brooks and Dunn. I'm like, I'm not putting Brooks and Dunn on here, dude. Like that's That's old. It's not, no. it's not old to me is like Johnny Cash, David oh, Allen Coe. That's real old. Hank Williams Sr. That's classic. Yeah, that's that's, that's classic. That's not that's, old. That's, that's the only classic. country I can really listen to or like the old Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I love the old Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Sign me up. I just look at Brooks and Dunn and, and Joe Diffie and these people they've asked. And I'm like, I, I can't Joe put Diffie anybody is. with a mullet on this list, guys. Come on. Oh, they're asking for like 90s or the 80s? Yeah, like 90s. They're like, can we listen to George Strait? So George, I think he mentioned George Strait. I like. And George who's the Strait. other guy that he met? No, was it George Strait? I'll listen to Randy Travis. I t I I did say that I I said uh, I'll put on some Dwight Yoakam. Which I don't, oh yeah. I don't really I like, like Dwight, Dwight Yoakam, I but he's got kind I of like, a rockabilly sound. Yeah. I like Dwight Yoakam in like '91. So I know I maybe. know that one song. Oh, I, I fast know. as you. That's all I know. Oh, I remember that. That's all. But yeah, some of the stuff is so. But they're. they're but we have country on there. Jesus. Yeah, we, but we have metal. But there's over 500 songs. It's, it's just, it's really cool, though, that they even let me do this and get rid of the radio. Because I hate the radio. Just yeah, all the radio really stations. There's no good radio stations anywhere in America, including Sirius XM. 
Sirius XM. But actually, lithium is probably the closest thing to a good radio station out there. Right. Because it's like just 90s. It's 90s stuff. But there's not enough variety on there. No, there's not. And that's why I told you. I mean, if you listen back to the episode where we discussed this initially, I literally canceled Sirius XM because I was like, hey, I can make a better playlist than this. Right. And that's what I did. Well I have done. over 500, I have 550 songs or so and growing on this playlist now. It's mostly 90s stuff. Mostly 90s stuff, I'd say. And, and I'd say 80% of it is just, it's not music I'm passionate about. It's just music that other that i like that other people can ignore right i can't i i showed my boss my spotify spotify made me a playlist of my top 100 songs from 2017 it did that for everybody not just for me right any spotify subscribers in like january of this year got 100 a list one so i was showing that to my boss to let him know like hey this is what I even what we're to. even what we're listening to is not what i normally listen to and i show him the playlist and it's it's literally king parrot insect warfare Cannibal Corpse, it's it's a bunch of made Pig up, Destroyer. Made up I don't know if I said them no already. Never heard of. And then there's some like Ramones and some Rancid in there, and 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 then it's like Black Dahlia Murder, but most mostly bands that that people don't know are or that aren't on the radio. Right. So I was trying to explain to him like because I think he was complaining about a Dropkick Murphy song. He said it was metal. It's like, dude, Dropkick Murphys are not metal. <laughs> okay, this is not heavy at all. And I, I showed him my playlist. I'm like, this is this is the more extreme stuff that is not on here. But it, it's it's going so much better. And That's it's also good. made for some funny instances where we just rag on each other. Oddly enough, I, I put a bunch of J. Roddy Walston and the business songs on there thinking that because they have that southern rock sound. Right. I like J. Roddy Walston. Well, yeah, we had this conversation. That the, the two country guys would like it and they cannot stand jay roddy walston in the business and that's what i told and then they tell me that i'm like okay well you got to remember your bar for good music is real is low. at country right. so you you can't really say if something's good or bad when that's your good bar you right. know you like country so. and they don't they just laugh or think i'm being mean but i don't think i'm being mean i'm being honest i'm like if country right. music is like yeah that's that's you the have, best music you can listen to you have terrible taste yeah so you like don't you, get i mean that's side and it, it i feel like as a person you should, like like steve going back to steve he knows he has terrible taste he just doesn't fucking care right and that's I how have, it should be i have relatively bad taste in music like but i also have some pretty good taste depending on like i know when i'm listening to something that's shitty like i'm aware yeah but I'm also aware when I'm listening to something that's fantastic. And when you don't like what I'm listening to, that's fantastic. Like what? Give me an example. Well, it depends on the song. If you don't like Mr. Blue Sky by ELO, you have terrible taste. Everybody likes that song. Right. And if you don't, you have terrible taste. <laughs> that's your bar? No, but that's an example of the bar. Like, you have bad taste. I have a really bad headache behind my ears. What do you think that means? You think that means I'm dying? You always, that's always your conclusion. I know. No matter what's going on. So anyway, I think anyway, we rambled a lot. I don't want to talk about music anymore. This isn't a okay. music podcast. Sorry. So anything else to talk about before I get into my no. topic? Because I have a really long Ooh, and involved The Venom movie is doing really well. Okay. Yeah. I really don't want to talk about two that. Two-pronged thing. Because it's doing so well, Sony's probably going to keep the rights to Spider-Man now and not let Marvel use them after Spider-Man Far From Home comes out, which sucks. But the good thing is, is we got a fun Venom movie out of it and maybe we'll get some more. Oh, and um, what's that guy's name? Uh, Ed Hardy? What's no. his name? Tom Hardy. Tom Holland. Tom Hardy. Ed Hardy. He wears too many bracelets. <laughs> he so, does wear a lot of bracelets. 
All right, going to my topic. Let's go into your this wonderful not, topic, your Christmas it is, topic. It is not Christmas. Well, you know what? It is Christmassy. We're yeah. just going to say it's Christmassy because <laughs> there is a tie into Christmas in it. Oh, OK. I had four topics picked out for this week, four different topics, and I had decided to narrow it down. Yeah. One was Christmassy. Yeah. And when you said we're not doing Christmas, I rolled it out. So I decided to go with this one because it was involved and you were sick. So I thought your topic would be short. Then you told me your topic is long. My topic is also long. This might be a long episode. We are doing Mr. Cruel. I don't know what that is. You don't know what Mr. Cruel is? Mr. Cruel? Yeah. I think I think of his Cruella DeVille's husband. That's what it is. Oh, OK. So we're I doing, have no idea. Why would I know who Mr. Cruel is? Mr. Cruel is the name given to the Australian boogeyman. <laughs> you don't know who it is, really? No. Why would I know that? Well, he... If they didn't make a movie out of it, I don't know who it is. Okay, well, he he was well known for some really horrible assaults against children committed in the late 80s and early 90s. Buckle up, kids. This it's a is, good time today. This is, an un, this is unsolved. Mm, even better. Yeah. And he has escaped justice for almost 30 years. Wow. Now, for a while, people thought he was the East Area Rapist or the Golden State Killer. That's the same guy. But now that Jay, uh, I Joseph I do remember James, hearing something about yeah, some Joe, Australian guy they were trying to tie, link that's it together. This. Okay. But now that Joseph James D'Angelo has been apprehended, we know that that's not the case. Okay. But real quick, since I'm never going to cover Joseph James D'Angelo, unless, like, unless that finally wraps up eventually before he dies, <laughs> let's talk about that real quick. So the Golden State Killer... Do you know how that was solved? Yeah, it was through like 23 and me or something, yeah. right? OK, that's I, that's what I just wanted to in case any listener doesn't know that it's I, they never actually say which one of the DNA testing kits. Yeah, they but that, I mean, that's but Paul Holes, he's an investigator and a DNA expert. Yeah. If you don't listen to um, my favorite murder, which is a it's a great podcast, Paul Holes, Karen Kilgariff has a. Paul Holes has been on yeah. and Karen Kilgariff has a little bit of a crush on him. But he used DNA from one of those DNA testing to go to his great, great, great grandparents. Wow. Yeah. And then they were able to, like, scoop up a little bit of his DNA from something he discarded yeah. and confirm that it was indeed him. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back to Mr. Cruel. So August 22nd, 1987, outskirts of Melbourne. How do they pronounce it? Melbourne? 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 Yeah, Melbourne's fine. Melbourne, I think they say. Melbourne? I think it's just because of the accent. But it's Melbourne, Australia. Um, it was Lower Plenty is actually the specific suburb. Okay. So everything's going good and it's cooling down for fall. Which is actually weird because it's like the opposite of us. Right. You know, but. Yeah, they're heading into summer right now. Right. So temperatures are relatively chilly and it's 4 a.m. It's Saturday. And everyone's asleep. Did you give us a year or no? 87. 87. So removing a pane from the family's living room window. Mr. Cruel makes his way inside, alerting nobody. He goes into the bedroom of the parents, armed with a knife and a gun. He wakes up the parents under the threat of lethal, lethal retaliation, pretending to be a thief. 
Be quiet and don't move or I'll hurt someone, he says. The home's phone lines had been cut and the man was armed with a knife and a gun in addition to concealing his face beneath a balaclava ski mask. He tied the hands and the feet of both parents and locked them in the wardrobe. Wait until I show and I will put this up on couplegoalspodcast.com. The police sketch of the balaclava mask is so terrifying. Hmm. It's like world's scariest balaclava. Get into the wardrobe and sit down and get into the closet and kneel down. The man is said to have said, all I want is money, food and clothing. How much money is in the house? But the offender lied. So he continually through all of his attacks throughout these like red herrings. Yeah. So that way people would go in these other directions like he's a thief or he's a whatever. Right. So his real target was actually the 11 year old girl. He went into her brother's room, tied him to the bed, and then turned his attention to her. What is your name? How old are you? And then he told her, clean your teeth. And then once I, he was... I just don't like this already. Well, I'm not going to go into the actual assaults. I would, I'm not doing that. That's disgusting. Um, then when he was done with her, he said, I'm going out now, so count to 100 slowly, and then you can free your parents. So following the attack on the family in Lower Plenty... The police came out and they were brought in to investigate the crime. They were completely stumped. Like they had no idea what was going like nothing like that had happened before. And the attack seemed completely unprovoked and they had they had no enemies. You no, know? Right. And it was the middle of the night. In the late eighties, Melbourne had a reputation of being really safe. Like, okay. I know Australia, like, the joke is all the criminals go there. Right. They've come a long way. <laughs> but it was a very safe, it, it was a very safe, um, safe place. And police started looking into the assault and trying to determine what exactly had happened because it was, they were under the impression it was going to be a thief. But the only thing that was actually stolen was a coat. Hmm. Yeah. So more details came out and the investigators began to focus on the daughter. She told police that during one of the the breaks when he was assaulting her, that he used the family phone to call someone else. So when the police checked the family's phone records, there were no phone calls. So this is another red herring. Like he was doing all these weird things like stealing the coat. Yeah. Just <clears throat> to fuck with the cops. Yeah. That makes sense. Smart. Yeah, I know. But that's so that's so weird. Nothing happened for another year. December 27th, 1988, just days after Christmas, John Wills, his wife and his four daughters were sleeping in their Ringwood area home, just a few miles southeast of where the previous assault had taken place. John was asleep and it was 545 in the morning. The sensation of an object pushed against his temple woke him up. Don't be a hero, he heard. And then it all started. A masked intruder wearing blue overalls and the same scheme or the same uh, balaclava was holding a gun to John's head. He had a knife in his other hand and he expected John to fight back. But John knew that if he did, his whole family was, you know, fucked. So... John and his wife were ordered to roll onto their stomachs, just like the first crime, and they were bound. 
at their wrists and their ankles. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so anyway, well, uh, he, he told them that he was just there to rob them. And the masked man stole 35 bucks. And he went through the house. He cut all the phone wires. And he went into their daughter's room. <laughs> and he addressed her by name. Well, that's not surprising simply because he clearly has been following these people to know if if he has a thing for young girls. Yeah, to know exactly. It's not coincidence that he's showing up where there's... At the young girl's house? Yeah. So he wakes up 10-year-old Sharon Wills. He blindfolds and gags her, just like he had her parents. And he picks up a couple items of her clothing. And then he picks her up. He steals her, makes off with her into the night. Wow. Took about 15 minutes for the parents to break free from their restraints. And then they ran over to the neighbor's house and called called the cops. They searched the neighborhood in a completely panicked state. I mean, can you imagine? I just want to say, and I know this is probably something you shouldn't say, because you don't know how you're going to react in that situation. I, I would have to try something. I, I couldn't, like, I feel like, if, because, especially hearing these stories, if you don't try anything, I mean, the worst that can happen is that I end up dead. But well, maybe the in is, the, thing in, is, maybe in the... But here's the thing. If you if you end up dead, he'll still steal your daughter. Right. And you're but dead, too. maybe in the ensuing melee, you could do something. You, you yeah, know what I mean? that's true. The, you know, it's life. a distraction. And maybe he doesn't get a clean shot off. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many variables there. And especially, obviously, you don't know the other option is you're going to be. But, I mean, you have to assume he's going to kill you anyway. That's that's kind of the way I would look at it. But, like I said, I don't want to not putting anybody down because you don't, you don't know how you're going to react in that situation. Nobody. Right. I might start screaming like a bitch. I don't know. Right. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, God, please don't shoot me. Like, I have no. Like, <laughs> like, like Jerry know. from Rick and Morty. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like, I just have a meltdown. <laughs> but I like to think I would be like, fuck that. I'd try something. Yeah. So. How's he going to tie you up? Like, I, I mean, I guess but, okay, makes you but this tie is up also the other only person. the second victim. Right. So really, you don't know that it's No, the no, same but guy. I'm saying, but I'm just right now I'm thinking. He must have been like, all right, tie up your wife. But how? Because as soon as he. No, this isn't this isn't like the East Area Rapist where he's making you tie up the other person. Well, then how? Like if he's tying you up, I'm headbutting somebody like I'm doing something. If he's distracted by tying my you know what I mean? I'm, I'm throwing out something. I'll bite somebody. I don't give a shit. So in this case, he, he tied up the he tied up the parents. He made them roll on their stomach. He ties them up and he goes over and he steals their kid. Right. They break free. They go looking for their kid. Their kid is gone. For over 18 hours, the Wills family looks for their kid. Yeah. And they cannot find her. This is a terrible Christmas episode. (laughs) It's just after midnight when a woman stumbles upon a small figure standing on, on the corner of a street. She's wrapped in a green garbage bag. And she's been, uh, she's fine. Like, she's, she's okay. She says, hi, my name's Sharon Wills, and I was taken from my home this morning. A man has left me here, and he told me to go ring home. He had told her before he dropped her off, you're going to have a shower, then you're going to wash yourself real good. Go brush your teeth. And when she was done... What's he, with the teeth brushing? 
Are you getting to that? No, but they suspect he might have been a dentist because he, like in, in another victim, oh. he flossed he flossed their teeth. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, Sharon was blindfolded throughout the entire ordeal, so she wasn't able to give any physical description of the attacker, but she described him as soft-spoken, rather blunt, but he seemed somewhat caring, like he took care of her. Hmm. Ugh. That, which is disgusting yeah. to me. This, of course, was, you know, grotesque because of what he was actually doing to her. And is, I, it, is, is this the kind of stuff they cover on other true crime podcasts? Yes. So this is a very popular. I know I've revisited yes. this many times, but yes. it just blows my mind that people enjoy hearing about this stuff. Well, normally on this, a podcast, this disgusts me and makes me angry. Yeah. That's why I said we need a palate cleanser. That's why I asked you. So when we record, we don't know each other's topics a lot of the time, right? Sometimes yeah. we do. But when before we recorded today, I said, since he won't tell me his topic today and I wouldn't tell him mine, I said, do you have a, a happy topic? He said, yeah. I said, okay, then you have to go second because my topic is disgusting or is upsetting. So I need a palate cleanser. So, yeah. Uh, during her brief captivity, Sharon was actually... Fed a Vegemite sandwich. Gross. You know, that's Aust torture. Australia. That's just, that's. Yeah, that's the worst thing that happened to I'm her. I'm not saying it's the worst, but man, it's it's just some bitter icing on that cake. She was, she was given milk and she was given lemonade. Gross. Again. What kind of combination is that? Not at the same time. Who cares? You don't have milk and lemonade. And. This guy's, man. Oh, actually, she's the one who was flossed. So before she was let go. Um, she was bathed and then her, she had her fingernails clipped, her toenails clipped, and he flossed her teeth. And of course, it was 1980 something. Yeah. So there's all this DNA everywhere and they have no idea. Well, they got rid of all, he got rid of all of it. Like he knew that. But there has to be. That's a lot of touching. I guess so he could have gloves on. The. Abductor actually kept all of her clothing because he didn't want any kind of forensic evidence to be traced back to him. And then he dressed her in an assortment of garbage bags. An assortment. And he dumped her at the local high school. So. He's like, uh, we have hefties and we have glads. Do you have a preference? I don't know. Do they have those brands in Australia? <laughs> I, I, I assume He's so. like, I have Australian brand garbage bags or I have... Other Australian brand garbage bags. <laughs> All right, so that is the second victim. There are two more. Oh, killing me. Which really only four victims to have someone be so. That's how heinous his crimes are. Is that he's this famous for only four victims? Yeah. That's how disgusting these crimes are. All right, so this one is in the outskirts of Melbourne. This is in Canterbury, Victoria. And it's just west of Ringwood, which this last one happened, and south of Lower Plenty. It's the Linus family. They were well-off English citizens, and they had been running a house in the area. They were um, they were in a very well-off area. So he's kind of working his way up the social ladder as he starts to steal the children. They moved to Australia for business purposes, and on July 3rd, 1990, the Linus family, Brian and Rosemary, and actually this name made me think I really love the name Rosemary for, like, people, because I really like how Rosemary smells and tastes. 
you remember Rosemary's Baby? Oh, just uh, kidding. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, just kidding. That was a good movie. Just kidding. So they were at a farewell party being thrown for them because they were going back to England. You know, they were almost done in Australia. Yeah. Until this shit. Right. So they had left their two daughters home alone for a few hours because their daughters are 15 and 13. And it was shortly before midnight. Fiona was 15 and uh, Nicole, Nicola was 13. Nicola? 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 Sure. Nicola, Nicola, I think, was 13. So they were awoken by an angry, angry masked intruder. He ordered Nicola into her another room to collect her school uniform from the Presbyterian Ladies College she attended. And he tied Fiona to her bed. Armed with a gun and a knife, just like his previous attacks, the girls had no way to escape. So Fiona was tied up and Nicola was abducted. He told Fiona that Brian would have to pay $25,000 for the safe return of Nicola. And then he made off in the family's rental car that was in the driveway. Because the family, you know, the family's there from England, so they just rented a car. Yeah. Brian and Rosemary returned 20 minutes later. Like, they wow. just got... I mean, they barely missed him. And when they got there, they saw that the front door was open and the car was missing from the driveway. Yeah. So they knew something was wrong. And when they walked in, they found Fiona bound to her bed and they found the ransom note. Unlike the abduction of Sharon Wills, Nicola wasn't returned later in the day or even the next day. It was 36 hours later when Brian held a press conference pleading with the abductor and saying that he, you know, he would comply with the demands. Yeah. But what, what, what were the demands? Does it, it, it was 25,000. Oh, because he left. He was being called the Hampton rapist at this point. Yeah. But he had left these demands, but he left like absolutely no way to actually comply. Right. Because it was just a red herring again. Yeah. Like, so he was like, oh, you know, I need all this money, but he didn't want money. He just wanted to rape a little girl. Well, he didn't. He he liked to rape. He was slowly moving up in age, too. So here's the good news. Nicola was find a, found alive. Side note, she was alive. I don't I don't want to call our listeners raperinos anymore. I don't think I like it. Yeah, it's gross. I agree. Why did you suggest that? I did not. That was you. <laughs> Here, this is the episode where we determine that rape is not a topic that uh, we should glorify. Here you go. I I think I knew that for a while. I think, yeah. I think that's... Uh, oh, but while we're talking about what we should call our listeners, you said you want to do like a BDSM oh theme. If any of our listeners have like... So the episode that was just put out that we had recorded in August that would just went out on Tuesday of last week. It was the um, Patreon preview. We were talking about how they call um, murderinos. I am talking about in the Facebook group. I think we should call our listeners something with BDSM. So I was looking up some BDSM terms. Yeah. And I was thinking like felchers. No. That's one. I already said no. Did you look it up? No, but I, I don't care. I don't like how that sounds. I don't <laughs> want to do that. Okay. Like, no. You're not going to look it up? I'm not looking it up. That sounds disgusting, and I don't want it in my search history. I don't know what that is. I don't want to know what that is. It sounds gross. I don't want it in my search history. So no, no. no to Felchers? No. Okay. No. If anyone has any ideas for that. Anyway, Nicola was found alive 
50 hours after being abducted, she was returned on her 14th birthday. In a variety of garbage bags. She was found outside an electricity station just a short distance from her home, fully dressed, wrapped in a blanket, just sitting there. She had removed her blindfold and she was the most coherent out of anybody. She was able to provide investigation and investigators with details that were vital. She was able to figure out the perpetrator's height, which was five foot eight. She guessed this judging by her own height and comparing it to the attacker's height when he was rushing her to the getaway car. Hmm. Um, she revealed the hair color that she was able to see. And then she was able to give detectives information that they didn't know, like the description of the abductor's, ha- abductor's house and vehicle. She was able to figure out things like things about his house, like it was by the airport because she heard planes flying overhead, which Sharon Wills had also told them. Oh, OK. So they were able to figure out a lot more stuff like like that. Now, here's something that's absolutely terrifying that she said. Which something Sharon Wills also said. No, we haven't hit terrifying yet. No. We hit that already with the home invasions alone. No. So apparently on his bed, he had a neck brace fastened to his bed that he would put the girls in. And then he would fasten them into the neck brace. So that way when he was raping them, they were like, not only were they tied to the bed, but their neck was fastened to the bed. So they were like being strangled. Mm. Isn't that why is mm, that's that's I, not? I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> I just don't like any of this. Yeah, I don't bad. like it. I, it's bad. So Nicholas said that he also told her, "My freedom is worth more than your life," which is not a shocking quote. No. Like that's that's not shocking at all. That's the third one victim. The fourth victim, which is by far the most fucked victim. And this will bring this, my story to a close. This is the Chan family. John and Phyllis Chan were two incredibly hardworking parents. They're immigrants to Australia. And they owned multiple restaurants in Australia and a handful of property investments. They're very well to do. Mm hmm. They worked really late hours because the restaurant industry is insane. Yeah. You know, you work all hours of the day and night. And they have three daughters, or they had three daughters. 13-year-old Carmen would watch the other two because she's old enough. She's babysitter age. Mr. Cruel was obviously watching them just like he was doing with everybody else. Yeah. And on April 13th, 1991, everything went to shit. At about 8.40, Carmen and one of her sisters were in the kitchen cooking when Mr. Cruel came in wearing his balaclava and a tracksuit and holding his knife. I only want money, he told the girls, and he forced the two youngest girls into Carmen's closet. He claimed he wanted Carmen to show him where the money was, and he braced a bed in front of the closet, locking the two youngest sisters and making a getaway with Carmen. Within minutes, the younger girls broke free and ran to call their father at work. 
but by the time police arrived, Carmen was missing. There was a sign on the the Chan's Toyota Camry. It said, payback, Asian drug dealer, more to come. <laughs> so tracing his entrance from the cut window screen, police were able to track the intruder's steps through the house, including his getaway through the sliding glass door in the kitchen. Aided by tracking dogs, they were able to track his steps through the family garden and the tennis court up uh, up nearly 300 yards into a vacant lot where he made his getaway with Carmen. Hoping to get the, the daughter back, John and Phyllis Chan had a press conference about 72 hours later. Phyllis Chan broke down sobbing, holding the outfit that Carmen had been wearing that night that had been left behind. Mm. Which is not a great sign. No. And was begging that his, her daughter be returned safely. Days, weeks, months were passing with no word on Carmen. This started one of the largest manhunts in Australia's history. It was called Operation Spectrum, and it was a multi-million dollar undertaking that consumed tens of thousands of man hours, along with many thousands of more volunteer hours. It made the safe return of Carmen Chan one of Australia's utmost priorities and the capture of Mr. Kroll. Nearly a year to the day of Carmen's abduction, abduction on April 9th, 2000, what? 1992, a man was walking his dog in the nearby town of Thomastown, huh, along Edgar's Creek when he stumbled upon an object. He bent down and touched it, touched it, and uh, turned out to be Carmen Chan's decomposed skeleton. Wow. An autopsy revealed that she had been shot three times in the head, execution style. Based on her decomposition, she had been dead for a year. Wow. Yeah. Theories had been lingering as to why Mr. Kroll had murdered Carmen, but... Carmen's mother insists that Carmen was super stubborn and she probably fought, fought him. Back. Yeah, she was just, she fought him and he, you know, she paid the ultimate price. Yeah. Operation Spectrum lasted the next few years, costing over $4 million and had a 40 member task force that went on to, to investigate over 27,000 suspects. Hmm. And it received... 10,000 tips from the public and searched for over searched over uh, 30,000 houses in the hopes of identifying a single clue. It was eventually shelved in 1994 without any potential leads for Mr. Kroll. Well, that was fun. <laughs> this is why I do less and less true crime and a more like weird. Un I like weird. Yeah, I like making fun do, of people. This is why I do more weird and like quirky and conspiracy and stuff and less and less true crime because you you don't like true crime. You don't I, do. I well don't understand it. why anybody would. I think that's why I like comic books. Like things get resolved. There's, you know, something close to a happy ending. You don't or if do nothing well. else, there's vengeance. You don't do well with true crime. No. You're I just thought like, we knew that already. You're just like, boo. <laughs> yeah, I was just, oh, that, that guy makes me angry. The ineptitude of people that, that couldn't catch him. I, it's like boots. 
He only he only committed four crimes. That's the yeah, craziest but what, part. Was of it that. in like the same area for the most part? Years apart. Yeah, from eighty-seven to ninety-one, he committed four crimes. He's probably a police officer. That Kinda was like the. That is what people thought about the um, East Area rapist too. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. He used to be a police officer. Yeah. Probably was a police officer. So he's probably fucking up evidence. Yep. Or whatever, you know, throwing or out the, the... red herrings from that angle, too. Yep. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Crazy. You just ruined Christmas. You wanted a Christmas episode. That one that happened. Not a Christmas episode. This is not Christmas. Two days after Christmas. I just want to say my, my topic was going to be. And I decided I didn't want it to be because I, I, I said to myself, you know, I, I want our podcast to be fun. And I, I don't want people to be, you know, angry or upset. And obviously you went that way. Well, that's what you told me. <laughs> you told me to bring it. I told so you to I... bring it. I didn't. Uh, that's not what I meant. I was going to talk about the sexual abuse allegations of the Catholic Church and go into all those but I didn't because I said, you know what? I think Catholics know by now, Catholic parishioners. Holy shit. They know. Do you want to know something? What? I almost did that too. <laughs> this week. That, oh, that would have been funny if we both had done the same topic. It would have been a first. But I almost did it from a different angle. Yeah, which is. That would have been insane. I almost did the Australian version of that. There is, there is Church. a, Dennis, no, Dennis, there is an Australian police officer that was honored this year. He was discredited 46 years ago when he uncovered the pedophilia in the Australian Catholic Church. Because Catholic and Church they is so finally powerful. have, uh. they finally, he's still alive and he's still, and they finally have apologized They've finally apologized to him and made it all right. And he's now has a day in his honor and everything. And I almost covered that story and the corruption in that. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to I was just going to go into all the allegations since just 1950. I was going to go back that far. I almost hundreds of thousands of allegations. How crazy is that? I almost went into that, that story. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we would have had the same damn topic except from two different angles. But I'm just going to. I'm just going to touch on it briefly and just say this. Catholic parishioners should should know by now that if you are giving your tithes and offerings to the Catholic Church, you are funding pedophilia. Just know that. That's what you are. You are enabling this is a real child rape heavy episode. You are enabling pedophilia by with your with your money. You're just like, hey, guys, I'm for it. That's that's essentially what you're doing, because they've gotten away with so much. They tried to say at one point. It was only 1% of the priests, which is way too high because they have, I think they had like 860,000 priests at the time. And then it turned out to be at least 5% at oh. one point. Yeah. Oh. And that's not, vic- you know, that's some, they said some victims only had one, uh, they only accused one person. Some people had like 10 different people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just so bad. I, I don't understand how anybody can trust or believe anything like anything about the Catholic church, you know, they look down on contraception, but meanwhile, they, they're all about pedophilia. Uh, like how, how can you take anything they say seriously? How are they not I shut? I thought you had a happy fuck? topic. I did, week. but you, <laughs> you called down the thunder. You got it. No, I do. I do have a happy topic. I'm going to give you a, a hint, an easy hint. That's what I'm going to talk about. Ho, 
ho, ho. Oh, we're talking about Die Hard. <laughs> That's all I had to say. It's Die Hard, which does have some Christmas ties. It does. I told you we were doing Christmas. I told Bitch. you last week. Bitch. I told you last week from now till Christmas we're doing Christmas. You motherfucker. I asked you. <laughs> I told you last week. I asked you and you said no. Yeah, no. Christmas theme. All right. So we'll just start with some some facts about the movie Die Hard. Die Hard was directed by John McTiernan. He also directed the first Predator movie. And then the others. You know, what else did he do that I actually really... I, I liked Last Action Hero. He did that movie too. Um, anyway, it came out in... Uh, it, it launched in July of 1988 in the United States. It opened three days early in, in L.A., but the wide launch was July 15th, 1988. It had a budget of $28 million dollars. And it made $141 million at the box office. All right. Now we'll get into the fun stuff. So this movie is based on a crime novel called Nothing Lasts Forever, which was written by Roderick Thorpe. It came out in 1979. I did not know that. I did not know that it was based on a book. Yeah. Uh, And it's actually a sequel to his 1966 novel called The Detective. They actually finally reprinted the book Nothing Lasts Forever in 2013 to coincide with the film's 25th anniversary. So I'm sorry. 25th anniversary. 2013. Yeah, it's 30 years old this year. Happy birthday, Die Hard. You are 30 years young. In five years, Die Hard can be president. Still a better president than Trump. It would do a great job. So anyway, so while trying to figure out how he would follow up his popular novel, The Detective, Roderick Thorpe, caught a screening of a movie called The Towering Inferno, which is a movie I've heard about many times and have never actually seen. It's a movie about a group of tough-as-nails older guys escaping from a burning building. So, according to Thorpe, that same night, he had a dream about a man running through a similar building, but instead of being chased by fire, he was being chased by guys with machine guns. So, oh, Thorpe, oh. Roderick Thorpe quickly wrote... Oh. Nothing Lasts Forever, which became the movie Die Hard. And according to one of Die Hard screenwriters, Jeb Stewart, were were not for a stray cardboard box, Die Hard would have been a different film. So in Stewart's early drafts of the script, uh, they were very similar to the source material, Nothing Lasts Forever, about retired NYPD detective Joe Leland, who gets entangled in a German terrorist plot to uncover an oil company's role in a Chilean junta while visiting his daughter in Los Angeles. So that was the original book. So while plugging away on the the script, or the screenplay, Stewart got in a fight with his wife and decided to drive off into the sunset as he was peeling out of his driveway. He almost ran into an empty refrigerator box that was on the curb for trash pickup. He said the shock of, of seeing the box and almost hitting it, despite the fact that it was empty, is just, you know, kind of a visual thing. Like, oh, my God. Uh, it was enough to make him revise his script in the following way. He said, it's not about a 65-year-old man whose 40-year-old daughter gets dropped off at a building. It's about a 30-year-old guy who should have said he's sorry to his wife, and then bad stuff happens. <laughs> so that, that was a big change. Good change. Yeah, I like it. It was also supposed to take place over the course of three days. But John McTiernan was influenced by Shakespeare's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and he just wanted it to be over the course of a night. Another great decision. Yeah. So 
there was a big screen adaptation of the first novel, The Detective. Do you know who played the lead character, the Joe Leland? It was Frank Sinatra. Oh. He had, it, because of his contract for that movie, he had to be offered the role for the sequel. So <laughs> at the age of 73, he, he turned it down. That's good. Yeah, so good. I don't think Die Hard would have been the same movie or as big of a hit if they had a 73-year-old blue eyes running around. (laughs) (laughs) 73-year-old gray eyes at this point. 73-year-old cataracts running around. (laughs) There you go. All right, so the studio, obviously, they want every movie to be a a big success, so they knew that, you know, step one, get get a big name attached, right? Yeah, with Frank Sinatra would have been it. Right. Well, they had to contractually offer it to him, and I'm sure they were like, eh, it's going to be crappy. You don't want to do this. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad They're on like, your knees. You're going to break a hip? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be bad. I'm like, you should see how bloody your feet are going to get. <laughs> so uh, it was rumored to have been offered to Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro. Harrison Ford was actually who, when you when you were like, do you know who's in it? And I was like, oh, God, it's going to be Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Charles Bronson, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Richard Gere, Don Johnson, Burt Reynolds, and MacGyver himself, Richard Dean Anderson, were all considered and all declined <laughs> it. Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean Anderson has to be kicking himself in the ass because he didn't do shit after. Yeah, if this is true, that would, man, that would like, suck. That's, especially those pictures I've seen of him, what he looks like now, like, oh. Everybody gets old and fat, man. Look at me. That's just, that's what happens. Yeah, but the sweatpants. So the producers didn't have anything against Bruce Willis. He just, at the time, was not known as an action star. He was known as a as a comedy star, which you may remember from the TV show Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard. That's all anybody knew Bruce Willis from at the time. Because the their marketing guys that they weren't convinced that he could that Bruce Willis could you know pull in people to see an action movie. They the original batch of posters for the movie, the movie posters centered on, and I don't know if you remember the main image, but it showed Nakatomi Plaza, the building, and just kind of like half of his face on the side of it. It showed like an exploding building. I think you could see him jumping out of the building, like a tiny version of him. And you couldn't really, yeah, they didn't focus on his face like they do now. Maybe he's in it. I love, I miss old movie posters. I got to digress for a minute. Old movie posters were magical. Everything now is fucking floating heads. That's all movie posters yeah. are nowadays, and I hate it. Movie posters now are like one of four layouts. Like, yeah. they only have so many different layouts and it's, just, and it's always like, you know, the, the main actor or actor's heads, and then maybe below them you'll see a little scene of something. Yep. But, you know, we used to have uh, Drew Struzan is the one guy. He did the Star Wars posters, the Indiana yeah. Jones posters, you know, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, uh Big Trouble in Little China. It's just a real shame that like that that creativity is gone. The Goonies. It's like, he, he did so, and like yeah, they don't do that anymore. It's like there's only so many layouts. It's like you can you can design more than four layouts, pal. Not everything has to be a fucking floating head, man. A floating head, or that it follows. In we can Riverdale have some kinetic, dynamic imagery in and yeah. on the poster. We can follow it. We have high definition. You know what I mean? They're right. printing stuff in 8K. We can see it. You know, you don't and just assume, need... assume your audiences are a little bit smarter than that. I mean, they're probably not, but <laughs> assume that they are. All right. So as the as the film gained steam, they started changing the, the marketing material a little bit. And there he was featured a little bit more prominently in the promos. So 
Uh, John McTiernan, the director, actually passed on it uh, on a few different occasions. He didn't want to direct it at first. The reason he gave was that the material was too dark and cynical for him. Man, he, he, he didn't hear the first half of this podcast. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The, uh, McTiernan said the original screenplay was a grim terrorist movie on my second week working on it I said guys there's no part of terrorism that's fun robbers are fun bad guys let's make this a date movie and that's what they did they turned let's make this a date movie <laughs> they turned it into a you know it, it was it was just a big heist movie it, under the like guise of being a terrorist attack which was brilliant I do like heist movies so going back to Nakatomi Plaza uh, you probably already know this, but that the building was actually the corporate headquarters for 20th Century Fox. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's actually what that's that's Fox Plaza or whatever. What? And also, you know, a lot of the building was under construction. Well, at the time, a lot of the building was under construction. So they actually filmed in the construction section. Yeah. And they didn't have to change much because it was actually under construction. So they were they were able to. To use the location already, but they still charge themselves rent for their own space, which I assume is for tax reasons. I yeah, can't imagine why else you would do that. No, that's a yeah, that's a write-off reason. Also, I don't know if you remember. Well, I'm sure you remember. Like when, when they had some shots of the exterior from when John McClane was inside the building, like when he calls the police and he's looking out and you see the cops coming down and stuff. Yeah, that was actually a 380-foot-long background painting that was for the city yeah so wow it was very state-of-the-art had animated lights moving traffic and the ability to change from night to day uh the painting is still owned by fox and it's been used in other productions since then but yeah i had no idea i didn't either like you know how you can tell like a matte painting from Normally star wars or can, whatever yeah i had no idea until i read this so that's pretty cool wow all right there's a lot of famous scenes of this movie this one is, uh, I don't know if you remember this, when, when he's prying open the elevator doors and everything, and he has to kind of jump down to yeah, a vent. I remember. And he misses the first vent. He slides and catches the next one. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Okay. So that was an accident. Oh. So he, it was a stuntman, but he was supposed to grab that first vent, but he missed and grabbed, got the second one. And because the you know the, it was a really cool take, they kept it in the they final were like, cut. I like that, right? I had no, and I I didn't know, but it it looks really real, and that's why because it's very real. He was trying for that first one, but he got the second one. Well, I like it. I'm glad they kept that in. All right, uh, thirty year old movie spoiler alert. I'm just gonna say it because people Cause still somebody, get mad. Somebody gets mad. <laughs> I'm gonna spoil the Bible for somebody someday. Like, guess what? He comes back. He's back every damn time, every mm. Easter. Uh, when they filmed, when uh, Alan Rickman played Hans Gruber, which again, uh, he turned down the role initially. Hans Gruber was his first film role ever. He was a stage actor and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do an action movie initially, but I guess his agents talked him into it because who turns down a movie, period? You know, well, if you're a stage actor, you're like, I'm an actor. I would not, dude. I'll be in any, I'll be in the next Star Wars. I will play Rose Tico. I don't give a shit. Are you kidding me? I will be in the next Sharknado. Yeah. I, like, who cares? Like, what do you need? This guy had some serious integrity. So, so anyway, they were, were they were filming his death scene, the famous, you know, he goes, falls off the edge of the building, right. he gets shot and then falls off the edge of the building. So in order to make it look like he was falling off the building, they had him suspended uh, like 20 feet up in the air over an airbag and he was holding on to a stuntman. 
for the scene, apparently. So, but to get that that look of terror out of him, instead of dropping him on three, they dropped him on two. <laughs> so that's why that, the, that face the genuine look he of was terror. not expecting it on two. So they 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 pushed him on two. That's fucked. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis has some pretty severe hearing damage from the movie. He has a two thirds partial hearing loss in his left ear from the movie. So in the scene where he's crawling under the table and the guy's walking under on top of the table and uh, taunting him or whatever, and then he shoots the guy up through. Well, that gun is like right by his face and they used extra loud blanks and he, he damaged his hearing in that scene. You gotta suffer for your art, I guess. Oh. Oh, I forget you guys can't hear the face I'm making. I'm making the ooh, that sucks face. <laughs> you can't hear the face I'm making. Like, yeah, I'm making a face. But unfortunately, that doesn't translate to podcast. So at one point, the Hans Gruber character impersonates one of the American party goers, right? Calls himself Bill Clay. He sees that list of names oh, yeah. on the wall yeah. and says William Clay. He's like, My name's Bill Clay or whatever. So in that scene, John McClane figures out that that's not that's not who he says he is. And uh, some some people, I guess, wondered, how did he figure it out? I just always assumed that he just wasn't taking any chances. <laughs> and so he that's why he gave him a, a an empty gun. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he knew, but he, actually the they in the deleted scene, they reveal how he knew. So uh, uh, Stephen D'Souza. One of the other screenwriters explains. So originally they get off the truck, the camera craned up. You saw them in a circle and Alan Rickman says, synchronize your watches. They all put their arms out in a circle with the camera moving down and they all had the same tag hewer watch. If you notice the first guy Bruce kills almost by accident going down the steps, he searches the body, looks at the ideas, IDs. As he kills each guy, he notices they all had the same watch. So when he talks to Dwayne Robinson, the, the head of the police, you know, the angry white guy from the what, Breakfast Club was in the principal in Breakfast Club, too. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I don't remember his real name. He says, I think these guys are professional. Their IDs are too good. There's no labels on their clothes, and they all have the same watch. So that's how he knew that, that he was one of the terrorists. I don't think he knew it was Hans Gruber, but he knew it was one of the terrorists. So they all have the same watch. Yes. And Tag Heuer, you know, they, they, keep, they keep good time. Do they? I don't know that. I don't even know if I was saying that correctly. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> like, do they? I don't, I don't know watch brands. Sorry. I know Rolex. Never had one. I'm more of a Timex guy myself. <laughs> I'm more of an Apple watch than myself. I was, back when I was into watches, I was Casio or Timex. <laughs> back when I was into watches. Not bragging. Not bragging. I have to get a new goddamn battery in my Kate Spade watch again. Oh, your life is so hard. How will you do that? <laughs> just made a huge complaint out of that (laughs) anyway uh, shut up (laughs) my pampered little white girl life's hard all right so even though there are plenty of german actors in hans gruber's gang of thieves none of them are actually speaking grammatically correct german which you may have picked up on but i didn't because i don't know any german so rather than have Alan Rickman learn German, the screenwriters put together phrases that seemed legit and had him run with it. So what few phrases they say, like uh, Scheib Defenster, which I think is when he was saying shoot the glass, Scheib Defenster. They're just only a cut above complete gibberish, apparently. 
viewers have noted over the years that the German words Alan Rickman utters make no grammatical sense, which explains <laughs> Carl's confusion when he tells him to shoot the glass. <laughs> shoot the glass. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Bruce Willis spends a lot of the time in his bare feet running through yes. broken glass in this movie. Yes, he does. So he was given a pair of rubber feet to wear as a safety precaution. Oh, okay. But And apparently, and I've never noticed this upon tons and tons of viewings, you can actually see his fake feet. Oh, I've never noticed. Yeah. We have to rewatch. I have the 4K version arriving. So we'll, I saw that. That'll I saw probably it pop be... up in my Amazon orders. Yeah. All right. And then we get to Yippee motherfucker. So that became kind of like an unofficial tagline for the movie. That was everybody was quoting that line. So in an interview with Ryan Seacrest, Bruce Willis said it was really just a joke. It was a throwaway. I was just trying to crack up the crew and I never thought it was going to be allowed to stay in the film. That was that wasn't even in the script. Oh, apparently. Yeah. Oh. And everybody remembers the white dirty wife beater that goes from white to gray to green to bloody yeah, to it's, it just gets disgusting right away. Well, that you can go and see at the Smithsonian Museum. He donated the shirt and it's on display with uh, along with like, you know, Dorothy's ruby slippers from the yeah, Wizard of Oz we've, and the we've, Treasures we've, of American History exhibition. We've been there. We have been there. I don't remember seeing that shirt, though. I remember walking around and seeing a lot of stuff. There's a ton of stuff there. Saw Kermit. We saw the oh. slippers. So there was a, there's a big debate. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. H- how do you feel about that? Yes. You think it and is? And when we were at Best Buy, Die Hard leaned into it and literally put it in like ugly Christmas sweater wrapping. Like right. They put a sleeve on of it. Of course, that's marketing. Yeah. You're, of course you're going to. Bitch, don't tell me it's marketing. That's what it's I marketing. do. It's marketing. 101. <laughs> Give them what they want. <laughs> I wish you could see her face now. <laughs> like, I'll cut you. <laughs> like, good God. Uh, sometimes I'm really glad you're lazy. Uh, yeah, I'd cut Stay you on your side of the couch. My side of the couch has a chaise. I'll stay over here all day. But yeah, it's a... Uh, so I do watch yeah. it around Christmas time. And I, I don't... I, I don't think it's a Christmas movie. Right. I think it... It's it has a lot of Christmas music cues and, and you know, it's obviously Christmas time. It's Christmas, Christmas party. Elements, but I, I think, think it's Christmas relevant. Yeah. But I think it has Christmas. I don't think it's a Christmas movie. It's in not that exactly Elf or Home Alone. Right. Or a Christmas vacation. Right. I but think Bruce Willis is on record as saying it is not a Christmas movie. No, it's a Christmas movie in that it reminds me of Christmas time. But it, right. that's that's like and he, I, here's the way I look at it. Though. He doesn't get to decide that it's been decided. It's a Christmas movie at this point. You know what I mean? There's like you said, if the studio leaned you, into it. If it reminds you of Christmas, it's a Christmas movie to you. Right. Just like to me, Willy Wonka reminds me of Thanksgiving. That it That is for you to decide as a person. It yeah. reminds you of what? And you that's know what like I mean? that's me with Batman Returns that came out in you know June, but just like you know like Die Hard in the summertime, but that's a very Christmassy Batman movie. Returns is very Christmassy. Yeah, it's a very Christmassy movie. That's super Christmassy. Yeah, and it's yeah if that's what it reminds you of, if it has elements of those like again, Willy Wonka reminds me of that there isn't a single Thanksgiving anything in that movie. No, planes, trains, and automobiles very Thanksgiving movie. I haven't. I fell asleep trying to watch. I didn't see it at all. Makes me cry. Makes me pray for death. Is that the only time you saw it is when I put it on and then promptly fell asleep? And I just sat on the end of the couch and cried. <laughs> I've got to see that movie. 
<laughs> I bet it's really good. I hear it's really good. It's fantastic. Yeah. No, never what's, been, you're never going to watch it again? I'm never going to watch it God again. damn it. I really want to see it. No. So I'll have to watch it on my own. Yeah. I guess you will. So yeah, that's uh, that's our Christmas part two episode. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing you Christmas every week. Christmas every until week. Until Christmas. That chick was abducted two days after Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> I, I had a Christmas topic, just so yeah. you understand. And it was upbeat well, and we fun. Won't, we won't do Christmas next week. He just winked at me. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, Lord. All right. Uh, I just want to apologize for all the snorting and sniffling I'm sure I've been doing and throat clearing. He's been actually, he's had tissue on his nose while speaking. So I can't, there's no way that I can edit that to make that not sound like he was talking through. He's very sick. I actually got up. I'm very lazy. Let me preface it. Not in that, not in my work ethic or anything, but when it comes to like leaving the house to run errands. Leaving the house is the worst. I try to barter with Sean for that and try and make deals that involve things. Like what kind of things? Things that husbands and wives might trade. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> she's trying to say is I barter things. I'm not I've don't put words in my mouth. What I'm trying to say things. is things I, <laughs> I trades for other things. So when this is I, how we keep things romantic, guys, like if you go get Taco Bell, <laughs> we'll do some things. We'll do some things. That's how you keep do. the romance alive. 18 years in. Yeah. So I uh, when I got up this morning, he's like, you know, he's sick and he's like, I'm dying. Well, I'm not dying. I'm not feverish or anything. I just my throat is killing me and I'm congested. But I you know how I am when I'm like sick. Yeah, when he's sick, sick, it's a different animal. Oh, but, my God. I pray for death when I get sick. But sick. I when I got up, he's like and he's been up since like, I don't know, yesterday. And he's like, like six. And he's like, will you go get me Burger King? I really want this sandwich. And he's like, and you know, I need Sudafed and I need Bix and I need this and I need that. And I was like, yes. And then I, I, I threw a bit of a fit yesterday when I went looking for Sudafed because I've had to buy Sudafed probably three times in a row now. And I've been denied Sudafed because, you know, it's so dangerous. I might make the meth with it. And I'm like, please, it is definitely your turn to get Sudafed. I'm sure I'm on a list at this point for all this. And I never even get to use the Sudafed. It's always gone. So I'm just buying Sudafed for other people while my name keeps moving up the chart here for potential meth maker. What do they call that? Cooker? I don't know. I've seen Breaking Bad. I don't remember what they... I don't know. Do they have names? Chemist? Chemist? Chef? Cooker? I don't know. I don't I don't remember. So, anyway, I said yes, and then I put on my boots and a Mario hat, and I left, <laughs> and I did it. <laughs> you did it. So... And I'll have sex with you later. You've earned it. I didn't make a deal for that. <laughs> it's okay, man. Wait. No. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> So anyway, I you know, Isley always pays their debts. No, they don't. No, that's not true. <laughs> Isley's we never always pay their pay debts. our sexual debts. Ew. Well, I do. Gross. <laughs> do not want. <laughs> Unsubscribe. All right. Well, that's everything for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.